Hi, and welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, the founder and chief exec of Intuitive Talent Solutions. We work with leading transport organisations in the UK and bring them together with a diverse and talented candidate network for interim and permanent roles. The people who know me know that I like to immerse myself in good conversation. And over the course of the podcast series, I will be joined by some exceptionally talented leaders from the UK transport sector to talk about their careers, the industry, leadership, challenges and opportunities, and much more besides. I do hope that you'll join me and that you'll be inspired by my fabulous guests and their intuitive insights. Today, I'm joined by Sambit Banerjee, who is the Joint Chief Executive Officer at Siemens Mobility, UK and Ireland, and Managing Director, Rolling Stock and Customer Services. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about Sambit's career journey to date, and um, and also some of his, uh, his leadership thoughts and comments too. I hope you're inspired. I hope you enjoy. Please do share it uh, amongst your network, the more the merrier. Sambit Banerjee, a very, very warm welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast. I'm going to take a deep breath and and read your job title out because it is, we've had some long ones recently, but you are definitely the winner at the minute. So Joint Chief Executive Officer for UK and Ireland and Managing Director for Rolling Stock and Customer Services at Siemens. You are very, very welcome to the podcast. I've been really looking forward to having this conversation. Many thanks, Nina, and thanks for this opportunity to have a chat with you. Um, Really looking forward to it. And thanks for the lovely introduction. Hello, you're very welcome. So in in time on a tradition, and we've been doing these podcasts for three years now, and what we know the audience really appreciates is to hear interesting career stories. And uh, and I know that you're going to uh, share an interesting story with us today. <laughs> I'd like you to go right back to the beginning. I'm interested to know where you've been, what you've done, and what took you there in the first place right up to present day and and what does a week in the life of a joint chief exec and md at siemens look like over to you thanks nina so if i go to the very beginning um, i was born in in the wonderful city of calcutta in the far east of india Uh, the city is also very well known as the city of joy Uh, that's where i did my education and um, i a chartered accountant by profession. I, I was trained with PricewaterhouseCoopers in uh, Calcutta. And soon after passing the exam, I started dropping uh, my CV in some of the big companies, including Siemens. And, and the question is, why Siemens? For no other mm-hmm. reason. Because Siemens was the fourth building from the Institute of Chartered Accounts of India in in Calcutta. So I passed that building so many times that it stuck in my head. Ah, this is one company. Uh, About four or five months later and three interviews later, I I joined Siemens in Calcutta in 1992 in the finance area because I'm an accountant by profession. I joined a low uh, and medium voltage uh, switchboard factory in Calcutta. And then it has been a long journey from from there on. You know, I I worked in Calcutta up to 1996, and then I was sent uh, for 18 months uh, to Germany on a very special uh, training uh, in the headquarters in Munich 
in corporate finance. Uh, I came back and then I worked in Mumbai uh, from 1997 till 2001 in the Siemens Limited India headquarters in different roles. I was head of management accounting, financial accounting, and finally I uh, was the head of management and corporate accounting for, for Siemens Limited in India. In 2001, I left Siemens, um, and that surprised a lot because uh, they always felt I'm a homegrown talent. I joined right. straight from the institute, but I wanted to um, become a CFO, um, and I knew if I want to be a CFO in India, there are two things that you need, uh, two feathers in your cap. One is to work in the area of uh, treasury, and the second was to work on um, mergers and acquisitions, yeah. So, so I worked with a very famous media company in India for four years. First two years as their vice president, Times of India Group in Mumbai. And the second two years, they had a joint venture with BBC Worldwide in UK for their magazine business. And I became the C CFO of that joint venture, 50-50 joint venture between BBC Worldwide and Times of India Group um, in out of Mumbai. But all this time when I was outside of Siemens, I was in very good connection with my colleagues in Siemens, particularly with my colleagues in Munich. And at some point they said, you know, come back. You have had your stand, you need to come back to Siemens. Yeah. And they persuaded me in joining back this time directly in the headquarters in in Germany, in Munich, corporate finance, um, looking after quite a few countries globally. And that's how I came back to Siemens in 2005. And I worked 2005 and six. And then on the back end of 2006, I came to UK um, on a delegation for three years only. And here after 17 years, I'm still here. <laughs> Uh, I worked in the IT part of the business, um, Siemens Business Services from 2006 to 2010. And then after that was sold off to Atos, I moved as the finance director of airports and, and postal area of the business, the logistics side of it. And on 2nd of January 2013, I moved as the finance director of Rolling Stock and Customer Services which I did till 2019. And then in 2019, I was promoted as the managing director of that business. And 1st of August, 2023, I was promoted as a joint CEO of Siemens Mobility. So that's a very quick uh, rundown of my career, Nina. Uh, well, yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to know um, the difference, I imagine, the difference in culture between working in Calcutta and then going to Germany was quite <laughs> significant. How did that feel when you landed in Munich? And and as I say, I'm making a sweeping assumption here, but I, I kind of feel like the culture is going to be quite different. Um, how was it and how did you deal with that? How did you acclimatise? So I, I start with where you finished. Um, I, I arrived in Munich. I still remember 31st of March on 20, uh, 1996 and it was snowing in Munich 
and I was born and brought up in one of the most tropical parts of the world. They are very dry, very humid, um, very warm. Yeah. And even with few, um, you know, um, layers and a full jacket, I was shivering. You know, I, I couldn't take that cold. Um, no. the, first, the first few months was really, really tough uh, because your body, your skin is trying to getting adjusted to an extreme condition which you have never experienced in life. So, so that was interesting. It was good fun. Uh, never experienced snow prior to that. So, so right. those were the kind of the fun elements. Um, culturally, totally different. Totally, totally different. But I think my upbringing helped me. My parents, my grandparents um, brought me up in a very liberal... Um, um, my family is extremely li liberal and extremely international. So we have family members from all over the world, um, particularly in the United States and United Kingdom. So... Uh, we are quite used to multicultural um, and Germany as well, um, mm. multicultural um, aspects. So that was uh, not, uh, I would say, difficult. It was different. And what I felt as soon as I reached out to people, people also reached out to me. So it is a kind of reciprocation. Right. And and um, yeah, you you learn about other cultures, you share your cultures with the colleagues. And I can say I met some lovely friends and also my family when they came and joined me there uh, in Munich and, and those friendships remains forever. Um, uh, so uh, so that was quite a um, interesting 18 months Nina, as, a, as a trainee in Germany. I'm sure. Even, and as you say, even just that very practical consideration around the weather and kind of, you know, getting off the plane and it being like nothing you've ever felt before. It's kind of a bit of a reversal of, you know, when, when I go on holiday, it's, we have this feeling of when you walk out the plane and that heat hits you and it's just love it. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favourite feelings. There's sunshine there. And of course, you'd be used to that, but not, not used to the snow in Munich. And, um, and, the, and the reverse is, you know, now when I complain about heat my family continuously reminds me somebit don't forget from where you came now you're <laughs> living <laughs> and so that coming over to the UK then on a three-year um delegation but still being here what was it 17 years later um so clearly you're enjoying it and and that kind of what what is it about um I guess about Siemens as an organization that has meant that that you've been so loyal to them, even though kind of going away, but then coming back again, um, so loyal to them, and, and staying in the UK too. What's what's the decision around that? Um, uh, if I start with Siemens, uh, you know, I felt it's a very fair company. It's a place where you can prosper, grow, you can travel the world. Traveled around the globe, Australia business, but all due to Siemens. Met so many colleagues, you know, across the globe. That uh, because when you work for Siemens, actually, you're not working for a company. You're working for a conglomerate. There are mm -hmm. so many companies within this company. Yeah. And I would urge all, all people who work for Siemens. I've always said to them, use it, use to your advantage. Travel the world. Pick up the bags when your family is still young and you are able to travel. Go and um, and settle in some other place for two, three, four years, and and that really 
opens up the mind, the horizon. Then from a local player, you become an international citizen. Then you don't look at people with any backgrounds. You don't people look at people from uh, India as coming from India. You are looking at them as talents. You are looking at people from United Kingdom the same way as from Australia or Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge uh, benefit because those barriers in the mind about geography completely got uh, taken away um, in that. And secondly, I felt I was growing with the company. The company was giving me the opportunity and I really loved and enjoyed uh, that those uh, challenges that were thrown at me. I also, over a period of time, got attached to the people and and that also make it uh, very nice. So I would like to work with people who carry similar values and trying to grow and develop the business. So that's really what I feel is the strength of Siemens. And um, someone like me coming from a completely different part of the world could come and work in UK. I think the credit goes to the people in UK. They welcomed me with open arms, very warm. Mm-hmm. So one of my first MDs, you know, senior MDs, I worked with Clark McFarlane, Later on with Steve Scrimshaw, they were extremely, extremely warm and, you know, uh, put their arms around me so that we, I can settle down and work well um, here in the UK. And um, then I started loving the place. I started loving the people and, and I stayed on, you know, that, that romance still goes on. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm delighted to hear it. I think it would be really remiss of me to miss to to kind of not grab hold of this opportunity to ask you for in in terms of people um, becoming an international uh, citizen rather than a local one, and I love the way that you've described that. It makes perfect sense to me. People, if if people are going to go and work um, in a completely different area in a different country, and there are, there is obviously this huge amount of transport transport programs going on globally what would be have you got kind of a top tip Sambi in terms of how when people arrive at the new place how do they how do they make sure that people you know that they kind of I guess that their arms are open as much as the people that they're going to be working with what would be bearing in mind all of the moving around that you've done and the different places you've worked and cultures you've been in what would be a top tip for from you people love you for what you are so don't try to change uh, suddenly if you go to a country i never tried to change when i came to england i was what i am and mm-hmm. people then start looking at you as i mean are you reaching out to them as they are trying to reach out to you top tip is are you respecting the values and culture of that country that you've been to once you do that, your acceptance level goes up immediately quite a few notches. My experience is, and this is not, um, I would not say 99%, 100%. I've seen across the globe in Siemens, within Siemens colleagues, people respect and value your culture. They, they, they're very keen and eager to know What's your culture? Which part of India I come from? What is my main festival? What do I do? What kind of food I like? And then it's the exchange of thoughts and ideas and minds, you know, when, and that then result in a lovely working relationship, uh, camaraderie, friendship, that mm-hmm. even after you finish the stint, 
it stays on for a for a yeah. longer period of time yeah perfect thank you um one of the another question has popped in my head so i hope you don't mind me uh, just taking the opportunity to throw this one in as well one of the things that that has come up frequently on the podcast is is this um concept of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and i i know lots and lots of female colleagues who would say quite openly that that we suffer with imposter syndrome and of you know I'm going to get found out any minute what am I doing here who am I to be in this job etc and then it was actually Anit Chandarana who who brought it into his podcast conversation with me um where he said that he had that similar kind of feeling as well um you strike me as somebody who's very very comfortable and confident in your own skin has that always been the case or have you do you know have you had a touch of the imposter syndrome at any point it's a very good question and i i really like this um there are odd occasions when uh, that crept through my mind if i'm brutally honest with you i mean it's not uh, never ever but most of the time i always try to um give myself the confidence that whatever journey i have walked is what is on my own merits on my own strength what people saw in me as a human being as a, a colleague as a friend as a professional so let's not try to put anything of a cover on top of it uh, so that i have to i have to do this differently mm. and it worked well uh, actually but there are a few times when you feel that um yeah um do you need to do this differently i i i i, I won't disagree with that you know yeah i for, for me personally the older i become the less i have that challenge but certainly you know earlier on in my career there's there was lots of those occasions when it's kind of like you know they're going to find out in a minute that i really don't know what i'm talking about um and and now i still don't know what i'm talking about but less people are aware of it i guess <laughs> my 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 biggest moment and i i let me share it with you so during the when i was with times of india we did this deal with a 5050 joint venture with bbc i had lots of meetings with the ceo and the cfo peter fifin and kevin langford and then after the joint venture my boss in time said you need to go to london uh, to meet kevin because he proposed your name as the cfo and i was really shocked you know i couldn't believe my eyes um, yes i said are you sure i asked he said hey, please please get a ticket go they, uh, you know patch uh, up with him uh, and and there there would be a few meetings in london for you so the first thing i asked kevin when i met him i said kevin why me and that's you can see the doubt in me i mean am i the right guy for this job yeah. i mean are you sure you want to take me and he said something to me which i would remember forever in my life he said sambit do you remember during the negotiations one of the days we negotiated through the night i said yeah 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 and i he said i said to peter look this man if it's not screwing it up for times he will not screw it up for bbc yes <laughs> yes brilliant love it thank you for sharing that story i love it um and there are there's there's those pivotal moments aren't there when you kind of by being yourself and staying true to your own personal values people can see that in 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 everything that you do 
and that and I know it's some it can feel like it's an overused word but that being authentically you means that it's not difficult because you're not trying to be something you're not as you've said people love you for who you are and you're not going to be right for everybody and that I think is a learning as well as you go through your career that not everybody is going to respond positively not everybody's going to love you but the majority of people will and that's what we that's what we focus on yeah absolutely so so agree with you so 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 very agree with you yeah so tell me what a week in the life of a joint <laughs> chief exec and an MD of Rolling Stock and customer service. What what's the day job now, Sambit? What what are you what are you involved in, and, and what what kind of keeps you interested and, and motivated in this role? Um, first of all, I I want to say this to to everybody who is listening to the podcast. I feel deeply humbled that I've been given this opportunity. This is the highest job in this country, and together with Rob. Uh, uh, we do, I'm doing this as a joint chief exec. It's, it's uh, yeah, I, I, I accept that this job with a with lot of humility and a responsibility. And that's where I will start. Every day in the morning uh, when I get up, I look at two th- things, all the fleet availability uh, emails that comes from all across the country to see okay that the fleets are in order, they can be in service. And second, all the health and safety alerts that comes through uh, in my, so I just want to uh, be absolutely sure that overnight, uh, nobody's injured, nothing has happened that I need to pay attention to. So so that's the start of the day. Uh, For the chief ex, mostly I'm doing meetings, yeah? So what are the areas that we focus on? On one side, uh, we focus on strategy. That's entirely up to the CEOs to lead and drive the business. Mm-hmm. Second topic that we focus on is what we call, and it's a part of the strategy, but I want to bring it up, is sustainability. That how we are uh, moving the company to achieve those uh, targets for sustainability, um, which are Siemens internal targets, also targets mm-hmm as given by the government of United Kingdom uh, to, to reach that zero, zero net carbon zero uh, target. Third, um, obviously, a lot of my time um, goes in talking to the customer CEOs and COOs, uh, talking to them about uh, their issues, their, their, the challenges they're facing, we are facing, trying to find resolution together, also trying to find uh, opinions that we can present together as an industry to the uh, to the government. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is what we call government affairs. So you know, talking to DFT, talking to Network Rail, talking to industry bodies and groups that consumes quite a bit of um, my time. And then, of course, day-to-day operations, operational reviews, and performance management takes a lot of time. People management, um, mm-hmm. people and culture boards uh, is very, very important uh, to me. And that takes a lot of time. But the underlying base thing, which is very important for me, is safety uh, yeah. in the workplace. Because we are in a high-risk business, Nina. We we work uh, with moving 
objects uh, which are trains we have electrical mechanical um, you name it complexity in our depots mm-hmm. and on the track and uh, one of our responsibilities to continuously reiterate uh, our health and st- safety messages and work on developing um, health and safety uh, strategies that keep our people safe mm-hmm. so so that's roughly uh, what keeps <laughs> me busy throughout There's a lot in there that is going to keep you busy. That's a big list. I'm curious to know, we've we've um, supported a number of clients with health and safety roles over the last few years. And we've noticed a shift, Samba, in terms of what that role actually looks like. And if we, it's a, it's a kind of very, um, op- to opposite ends of the spectrum, but going from, I remember one client describing it to me as we don't want a clipboard warrior. We don't want someone who's going to walk around and say, have you got your helmet on? Have you got your high vis on? Have you got your toe cap boots on, etc., and tick in a box? It's become much more behavioural um, in terms of how we approach safety. And safety isn't something you, you do at the end of the day when you've done everything else. It's something, it's what, what we do all the time. Is that something that you can recognise? Have you seen that shift or is it, or, or were you already there in terms of that behavioural approach to it? It's a journey and, and I see that very much. Um, and you see where at least we are trying to take, we're saying health and safety colleagues are there to give the governance, the guidance. They are there on site to make you aware of things maybe under work pressure you are missing or... Mm-hmm. But they cannot ensure safety on the shop floor. No. The colleagues can. So it starts with the beginning of the day. Are you safe to work? Have you been well briefed? Have you followed, you know, the right, are you following the right processes? Mm. And then if you see anything unsafe, immediately stop work and report and then find um, the right resolution before you go ahead. Mm-hmm. It's also about the I would use a word which is called the safety culture. Yeah. So there was when I joined, there was this tremendous urge to release a train into the service, and I said that look, that's important, absolutely important, but not at the cost of compromising on safety. Yeah. We need to be that much uh, um, alert that we are not driving those wrong behaviors. Uh, we do cultural workshops in the depots. We have a talk to me program in the depots where people can pretty much to me say what they feel are not happening well or happening well both ways. And that created the, the culture of ownership within the people who are working there. Mm. There's one other topic which I've really pushed on from the time I took over from uh, 2019 is the topic of well-being, Nina. Yeah. Well-being of people is so important and it's related to safety. And it could be mental well-being, physical well-being. So we are doing uh, throughout the year a lot of programs whereby we give this assistance of mental, physical well-being to the colleagues about diet, about sleeping patterns, about lifestyle, about uh, exercise, and, 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 and. And that has really been very well uh, picked up by the the fleet heads in the depots and uh, sometimes i know in some depots they do yogas which is so so good yeah. Uh, yeah. and and likewise so yes it's a behavioral journey it's a cultural journey 
it's a journey we are better off than where we were say 3 4 years back and we have a lot of mile to cover uh, this year and the next years as well yes it is like as you said and and that i think it sums it up really well is that it is a journey and it isn't i don't think there's ever a destination i don't think we ever can say right we're here now stick your flag in the ground we've made it because it's constantly evolving but yeah. what is really wonderful to hear is that people are um are really kind of responding well and responding positively to these programs that you're doing and i know um so as we're recording this today on the 6th of november the rail live the rail wellbeing live is happening yeah. this week and there's some brilliant um brilliant contributions to that from people across the industry looking at different ways that we can look after ourselves better um and i think that the take up of this and the the response to these kind of programs is getting better and more people understanding the need for it rather than perhaps the culture that we might have come from which is because let's face it we it, it we're still a very male dominated industry and there is a well well boys don't cry men don't talk to each other in the same way that um that females do you know there's a habit of not sharing and therefore mental health issues coming as a result so there's some brilliant stuff happening which is really encouraging and and to hear from you that that your team are embracing this as well may i add a story here because it's important that mm. and this story is about caring so i observed someone four five four years back who who i worked very closely with um, not in his own self so i called his manager and said can you have a chat with him and he said somebody after the chat he's fine after 3 4 weeks i went back to his manager and said look i don't think he's fine would you mind taking him out for a pint or or just just have a chat that was a friday on monday his manager called me said i urgently need a meeting with him and i said yeah by all means yes and he came to me and said you were right he is in deep depression i said i told you we have to keep a eye for each other because we yeah. know each other well in work we have seen each other for many years so that is the duty of care i'm requesting across the industry please just don't leave it to this standard male reply i'm okay or i'm yeah. fine yeah yeah it's such a good point and i think to come back to the point you made earlier in a kind of in the sense of physical safety then if if it's if it's not right if something's not right you stop and yes we know we've got deadlines to meet for that train to be ready to go to the client on a particular day and you know all of the all of the dependencies that are in place but if it's not right you stop and it's it's the same with mental health isn't it and that Excellent. kind of you you if you spot it there could be a tendency to be well you know we're really busy i haven't got time is it none of my business is that person going to think i'm i'm being nosy i'm poking my nose in etc just ask yeah, yeah just just it. ask because absolutely. we we need to do that we need to do it um i think we might be kind of as we move into the second part of the conversation i think we might have already covered some stuff that um that might fall into this question but i'm not going to preempt that i'm going to get my magic wand out sandit and i'm going to say to you i'm going to grant you three wishes for the change the transformation that you would like to see in the UK transport industry as we move forward into the future 
Um, take the limits off. Let's not think about, well, yeah, but that couldn't happen because if you had no limits and it was a real magic wand scenario, what would you like to see happen? What are your three wishes? The first one is um, certainty. We would like to see certainty in the rail area. And that is about decision making, about policy. Is, uh, there is a lot that we can achieve if we know and can plan for ourselves um, uh, in, in the industry. And, and that certainty is missing. I think this is something really we need. The second is we need uh, quick decision making because sometimes we feel um, the decisions are taken uh, taking too long a time, sometimes prolonged, sometimes I think everybody is a little nervous to take a decision. So decision making, even if the answer to that decision is a no, then at least we can move on without wasting our money and energy on things which may not have the right outcome. Mm. And the third thing I need, uh, I really want is a very agile um, financing uh, models and, and ways to work because I don't think we are using that. We are one of the countries where financiers would love to invest. Our rating is very, very high, uh, but we are um, not coming out with creative financing models mm. to find solutions uh, for the industry on the one side and for the government on the other side. So, so those would be my three major wishes, you know, yeah. um, on, on this topic. I think there, was a, there would be a lot of people voting for those three wishes, Sambit. I think they would resonate with most colleagues in the industry. Have you, really interesting in relation to this, we're not coming up with the creative financial models. Have you got a view on why that is? Why are we, why are we not doing? I think we are looking at very short term and sometimes uh, very uh, siloed approach that is preventing us from thinking a little bit more like uh, entrepreneurial or more broad broad based um and and we, yes we had in the past sometimes some issues whereby it took a longer time to agree on some of the financing models and that's why i said decision making is important so once the models come up we can take a quick decision what's good what's the right thing where the taxpayers' money can be best spent or how it can be best spent, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there which we are we are missing out on. Yeah, huge. I agree with you. And there's obviously, as we speak, a large programme of work just been um, kiboshed a few couple of weeks ago in terms of um, the, the high-speed two from Manchester or from Birmingham further up to Manchester. And just think, good heavens, if things had, if decisions had been made differently, if financial model had been looked at differently, it's if, 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 loads of, loads of ifs. But yes, a whole, a whole different, a whole um, Pandora's box to open there. Um, we haven't got time for that, obviously. I'm going to move to my <laughs> final question for today, um, which is in terms of where you get your own personal motivation and inspiration from. If I mention your name to anybody, the first reaction that I will get is what a lovely person you are, what a warm person, an approachable person, but, but overall, what a positive person. 
So I'm very positive too, but I'm not positive every day, all day. And there's there's things that you do to kind of plug yourself back in and recharge and kind of get that that energy back again. What do you do, Sambi? Where do you get your inspiration from? Uh, that's a very, very lovely question. It, it comes from my family. Uh, my my family keeps me very grounded. My wife, my two children, uh, they uh, always, uh, when I'm a little bit low, they always try to uh, give me perspectives uh, that how to keep myself focused and stay motivated. Um, and I think that's that has been um, a really, really uh, the main reason how I I keep myself uh, motivated. Because I think, as you know, uh, we have sometimes very, very, very tough days when at the end of the day you just feel, you know, very tired. Uh, then you need that support from from the family to to keep you going. And and that's that's definitely one thing. The other thing is I have always worked with people who are far better, smarter and better than me yeah. and and hence I could rely on them a lot they are they're really good my team is really good um, many of them have been working with me for a long time um, and uh, I've been really privileged to have that so that you know uh, in the in the area of work uh, we as a team could, could achieve a lot yeah and that matters, doesn't it? That kind of spreading the load. Yeah. So so spreading the load, I think, when you get home at night and your family's there and actually then your husband or your dad and you're not joint chief exec and MD, you you become the person again. Yes, yeah. Um, but also being able to be that person when you're at work as well with a team that you know. You say, I think there is there is something so logical makes complete common sense that the people you work with the people you have in your team would be better than you at yeah. something because what would be the point of us all being good at something exactly um, and i'm massively privileged i've got a team just like that where you know we all bring something different to the party and it just means that you can spread the load and yeah. you know everybody's got a part to play absolutely um, thank you so much for joining me on the um, Intuitive Insights podcast today. I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing about your career. Thank you for sharing um, advice for us in terms of people's careers and your thoughts as well around um, around safety in the industry, because it's obviously it's absolutely critical. We've, we've got a brilliant reputation as a country, haven't we, in terms of, uh, of our safety yeah. records. So keeping yeah. hold of that is critical. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. And um, yeah, let's let's make sure that we continue the conversation uh, and we don't leave it quite so long next time. Absolutely. And many thanks, Nina, for giving me the time to share a little bit of my journey. I really enjoyed this session and enjoyed talking to you. And as you said, look forward to uh, talking to you um, very soon. Yeah. Thank you so Perfect. much. Thank you. My huge thanks to Sambit for taking the time to join me on this episode of the Intuitive Insights podcast. Um, we would really appreciate your support by liking and sharing and subscribing to our link. Um, and a huge thank you to everyone who has supported us over the last 50 something episodes. We appreciate it very much. Have a good day.